Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome to Scottsdale as Penn State gets ready to take on Washington in the Fiesta Bowl just two days from now. Great show coming up today. We'll have a roundtable with Todd Sadowski and Trey Bauer. Dick Girardi on basketball in the next half hour. Lou Prado is going to join us here in the Mobile Sunbury Motor Studio to talk about the Fiesta Bowl and Penn State and Washington and the history of Penn State football with Washington. It's not long. It's not deep. It's not steep. Uh, but this will be the third meeting between them. But Lou has some interesting stories to share, and we'll talk with him in just a few moments. Today's show is brought to you by our Good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We can't thank Sunbury Motors enough. They've been with us every step of the way on this show as we head into our seventh year of doing the show. Don't forget the game will be on News Radio 1070 WKOK on Saturday and on WKOK.com. It'll be a 4 o'clock Eastern time kickoff Saturday. We're on beginning at 2.30 with the Dietz and Watson tailgate show. And a fun show coming up today as we'll have Todd Sadowski, Trey Bauer, final hour of the show in a roundtable. My cohorts from the Blue White Tailgate television show. My basketball broadcast partner Dick Girardi will be in the second half hour. Lou Prado in just a few moments. And tomorrow we'll have Jack Ham. Derek Williams, and from the Washington Radio Network, Bob Rondo and Damon Heward, all on tomorrow's show here from Scottsdale. Great to have you with us. Brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Lou Prado coming up in just a few minutes to talk Penn State football and the history with the Nittany Lions in Washington as we continue from Scottsdale right here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. There are lots of ways to ring out the old and ring in the new. But the best way is in a new Ford car, truck, or SUV from Sunbury Motors Ford. As we count out the days in 2017, SMC is where you want to be. But time is running out, so come to the dealer with four city blocks of new Fords. And the dealer voted best in the Valley Reader's Choice for the best car dealership in the Valley for two years in a row. SMC is where you want to be with over 88 new Ford trucks with savings up to $13,500. SMC is where you want to be for the most trusted SUV brand, the Ford Escape. Choose from 33 new Ford Escapes starting as low as $18,975. And Sunbury Motors Ford has financing as low as 0% for up to 72 months on select models. Plus, during the final days of Ford's year-end sales event, there's now up to two grand in total cash savings on specially tagged vehicles on top of the best deals of the season. SMC is where you want to be to ring out the old and ring in the new. But you have to hurry before the ball drops. Sunbury Motors Ford in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury. Mary. Penn State will play Washington. The long, deep, steep history blue between the two. This is the third meeting ever between them. It's amazing, isn't it? It's only the third. But yeah. at first, when you know, I'm 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 really deep into that because of after I didn't realize it until I started running the sports museum. 
and I find this football, and it said, and back then, you know, back when the when college football started out, they only used one football in a game. Yeah. <laughs> Keep in mind now they give them away. Uh, but uh, remember, they, each team has its own footballs. Yeah, and right. but they but they get the winning football. They'd give you they played using the game. They'd use that in the uh, they'd give it to the winning team. So they go home and with Penn State they'd come back and they'd write their scores on it. So I'd see these these old scores. We have several in the in the they're in the collection. Uh, but I saw this one from Washington, 1921, and I'm thinking to myself, "What's this all about?" And then I, you know, I started to look up and did the research. Penn State had never. Let me back up and said, we knew that you're know, looking up that Penn State had played in the 23 Rose Bowls. So that meant the 22 team went to the Rose Bowl. Right. This is one year before. The fact is, they'd never played. Penn State had never played west of Columbus, Ohio State, until this game. And they had scheduled the game uh, earlier in the season. Games weren't scheduled two, three, five years in advance. Uh, Hugo Besdick, the coach at Penn State, had been the coach at Oregon and taken a team to the Rose Bowl, uh, Oregon team to the Rose Bowl, and then took a, during the World War One had taken a team to Mayor Island, uh, 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 Army-type team, uh, to the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl wasn't known as the Rose Bowl back then. It was a tournament of roses. It didn't right. later, as, as you know. But... Then he he was also a baseball guy, and he was managing the Pittsburgh Pirates when they hired him because he had been to West Coast of the Pittsburgh Pirates. So anyhow, he arranged this game through his West Coast connections. Uh, he thought that the that the nineteen twenty team should have been, Penn State's nineteen twenty team should have gone to the Rose Bowl the tournament of roses, and they didn't get the bid. So he wanted to impress them, so he scheduled this game, and they scheduled to after the pit game. Pit game was still the normal the normal game, and after the pit game, the, the players piled into the train to the old Union Station, which is still there. Uh, down near the Strip District, and they they took a day and a half. Well, they got there Monday morning. They, they took the fast train. They, coming back, they took six and a half five, six, six and a half days because they go. They did some some uh, tour, played tours, but they get out there. And I and I where I read is that he actually closed the practices. He wanted a secret practice because he wanted he wanted to win this game so badly because he because he he wanted to to show up the Rose Bowl. And, and pe- people believe because of this game, eventually they got divided the next year because that you know that, that's another story. So they get out there and they and and, and what I found out then is <clears throat> Washington Huskies were not known as the Huskies then. They were known as the Sun Dodgers. <laughs> it was the next year they changed it to the Huskies. But they found that? but very interesting. And it was the, the first game played in their, the stadium they're, they're in. And back then they seated 35,000, 30,000 with seating capacity. And it, they, they said the attendance was 35,000, which meant there was standing room only. Right. We're watching these, you know, watching these guys from the East come in. And Penn State dominated the game throughout, even though the final score doesn't seem like it. They scored a touchdowns in the first and second quarter before Washington even scored. Made it 14-7 just before half. And then the third touchdown and made final score made it 21-7. to, to, to seven. But uh, Glenn Killinger uh, was the quarterback, and back then it was, it was the power formation. They didn't throw much passes back in those days. He threw tw- through twelve passes, eleven of them to Stan McCollum, who was the who was the end on the team. McCollum set a Penn State record that I found in the record book had never been never been put. He caught eleven passes in that game. It was a single game record that stood up for for seventy seventy years. But Killinger became an All-American after the season. One of the reasons he was is this team was became known as the mystery team because in the beginning, when they started the season, uh, they didn't know what they had. And after they pulled off a couple upsets, they actually they tied Harvard, which was uh, 13-13, which is an upset, and then beat Georgia Tech in, uh, at the Polo Grounds. Uh, the media started calling it the mystery team. So to this day, they're still known as the mystery team because nobody knew who they were, and they came out of the blue. But after the game, uh, even before while they were making the trip out there, they started to get hints about, about going to some bowl games. Uh, they actually was the, the only one game was the uh, was the, uh, uh, the the tournament of roses game. 
Uh, but there, but uh, uh, someone wanted to set up a game against uh, against California at, at the Tournament of Roses, uh, Notre Dame at the Polo Grounds, uh, or Center College in Chicago, which was a big college, or Texas and Dallas and Oregon and Portland. So a lot of been trying to set up, and Penn State turned it down because no, we've already made our West Coast trip. And so the next year, by March of the next year, secretly the Tournament of Roses invited Penn State right. because of their past to play in the Twenty Three Rose Bowl, and that's how we wound up there. That's that's just a fascinating story. It is because, and, you know, I mean, day and a half to get out there, closing practices, <laughs> things that would be, uh, you know, you take for granted travel today. Let's start with that. You take that part for granted because, I mean, you know, everybody will charter and fly well, out. Someone said when I, when I posted, they flew it. No, no, they took a train. I mean, they couldn't. Right. They, the planes weren't flying. Right. I mean, they couldn't do that. And then to play the game and to dominate the game, uh, you know, I mean, he, you know, what, Hugo had been you know, coaching out on the West Coast, so I think he knew what he was getting into. <laughs> He knew what he was getting into. He had he had it all, uh, and it, and you know, I, I've I've tried to look up some you know on the internet. Tried to find out some articles of the time at Washington paper. I haven't been able to do it yet, but, but I'm still interested because that ball is still on display in a museum. Yeah, if we put it in the we put it in the uh, the uh, football trophy case in the museum, and it's still there. And I and I, I said when people ask me when I give tours about uh, you know these these things, that's one of the most fascinating. And again. It's 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 ironic that Michigan we didn't play until we got into the Big Ten, right? And Washington we've only played one other time in, a, in another a postseason game, and yet you know it seemed it seemed like they scheduled Washington. Yeah, I mean, we played USC. It was big. We played UCLA. Washington was a power just like they were for years and years, particularly when Don James was coaching. Yeah. So why why didn't we play him? But then we get to the to the Aloha Bowl. Which really was not a well played game. Terrible uh, played game. Uh, it, Penn State didn't win it till late, if I remember. And there aren't many games on the planet where the MVP is the punter. <laughs> yeah, the uh, it was one year old. The Loa Bowl was, it was a Christmas holiday uh, in Honolulu, and eighty uh, three, if you recall, was a was a rebuilding year. We won the national championship, and then we started out with three embarrassing losses. We lost to Nebraska and the. Uh, what they call kickoff it? classic, the kickoff classic, Cincinnati, fourteen to three, and Iowa. Iowa, uh, Iowa in a shootout with Chuck Long, uh, and uh, I think Chuck brings that up occasionally in the Big Ten mm-hmm. Network, which he should. But it's uh, okay because Penn State went out to Iowa and beat Chuck Long the next year. So I mean, but <laughs> well, he doesn't he got, bring no, that part up. <laughs> but they came through because they, were, you know, Joe coaches those teams, and they came through and finished with an eight and three record, and wound up in the in that get invited to this to the bowl game. Yeah, there was seven zero and one. In fact, the one was the tie with Pitt at the end, 24-24. Uh, yeah, which is also, also, we've talked about that before, the yeah. famous game where... Six seconds. Six seconds left, and in, in, in the, the Dozier, uh, uh, I think he went, he went out of bounds earlier. He, was, he ran, well, yeah, he went out of bounds earlier, and yeah. they lost track of the clock oh. on the scoreboard, but um, but the officials, and the Pitt, to, to credit Foge Fazio, has always said, he said, look, they told us how much time yeah, was Foge, going Yeah, Foge has said it. A lot of the Pitt fans, yeah. oh, you know, Joe's no. getting official. No, no. I mean, I was there sitting in the stands, and, I, and remember that game. We were trying to, they, they really weren't informing the fans of what was going on, so we sort of left yeah. there wondering what, what had happened. A lot of the fans did Yeah, I was on the field getting ready to do the postgame show with Joe on the radio network. And so the first question I asked him was, okay, when the clock gets zero and it's 24-21, how does the game end up being 24-24? And he then explained the clock. And he said, show. I remember quoting the thing, he said, I remember listening to you yeah. in that post game. I always listen to you in the post game <laughs> when you were doing that stuff. Uh, but Joe said, you know, never gone to a tie for his life, but he That's wanted, right. wanted because he knew that it would be great for that game and that team and the kids deserve it for where they came from. You know, he gets, he gets wrapped by the Pitt fans, but he gets wrapped by the Pitt fans for anything. 
But, yeah, uh, you, you mentioned about uh, George Reynolds. Seven punts averaging 47.7 yards. It considered a key to the win. He was selected the, 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 the Bulls' outstanding defensive player. I mean, <laughs> the punter. The punter. Okay. That tells you all you need to know about the extravaganza. Because Washington had been there the year before. They played in the first one. The first Aloha Bowl. So now they're back for a second year. And, I mean, nothing really happened for a long time. It, um, Steve Pelour, I think, was their quarterback. Yeah, that's, that's who it was. And, of course, Doug Strang was Penn State's quarterback. And I want to say in late in the fourth quarter, D.J. Dozier scored on a run. Yeah, he had a two-yard touchdown run after a drive from midfield. Nick Gansatano. Gansatano's 49 field goal. Uh, then, that was the margin of the victory then. With those. It, but, it's 13 to 10. Like, but... Uh, and it was the day after Christmas. Day so they, after had, Christmas. they had to December spend Christmas. 26, 1983. Yeah, they had to spend Christmas Day out there. And we Penn State fans were watching it, wondering, boy, they're having a great time. And they were, said, you were out there? Oh, I wasn't out there. This is how it played out. Okay. Uh, how it played out was this it was so expensive to do this in 1983 that the Washington Network and the Penn State Radio Network got together and put together an agreement where each team would send one announcer. <laughs> so Bob Rondo, who's doing his last game for Washington. You, you talked to him the other day. Yep. yep. And Bob and talked to him the other day, and then, he, then we talked uh, for about an hour the other night. Bob did the game, and he did the play-by-play of the first half, and Gil Santos did the color. And in the second half, Gil did the play-by-play, and Bob did the color. I went to Hartford to do basketball, right? And, of course, you know the history of the Hartford Civic Center. The roof fell in once. So I'm in there. I think the game I had was the 27th. So I'm sitting in there, and, of course, you know, they were just out in Hawaii, Penn State 1, and the roof starts to leak. Uh-oh. I'm like, this, this can't be happening. As somebody who drove past the Twisted Metal a few times, because obviously my parents lived up there, and I drove past it a few times, thinking, oh, no, this can't be happening. So now I got a, I got an all-expense-paid trip to Hartford for that one. <laughs> Arizona State, 51-50, Arizona State's winning. Dwight Gibson bringing the ball up the court. Last shot, chance to win it. Gets his pocket picked at midcourt. Layup for Arizona State, final 53-50. How do you remember all this stuff? Everyone remembers pain. <laughs> I keep telling people, you have the encyclopedic mind. I mean, I may have written an encyclopedia, but you have the mind. I don't know how you remember this stuff. Oh, well, I lived it, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious about this, too. I mean, even somebody, did, did, did you, did, were you able to do this as a kid? I mean, do you rem- remember things as a kid and that started, and started you thinking? or? How? I don't know. I read a lot. Uh, you know, I, I think it's heredity. My grandmother had a, my grandmother Jones had a, Photographic memory about everything. It's so minute. I mean, stuff that I mean, I could understand under talking about the Houston, uh, the tech, uh, the uh, Houston UCLA, UCLA game. Yeah. yeah, I could see you, but you rattle off stuff that I, I keep saying to Carol. How does he do it? How does he do it? Well, Penn State finished third in the tournament because they beat Columbia in overtime, eighty four seventy nine. There he goes. Bring him, take him to the bar. <laughs> take him, take oh, him to the bar. Win some. <laughs> the other day at Channel 3 WPSU, I walked into the holiday party after going out and doing a shoot. And they said, oh, sit down at the table. We have a question. What, what bowl's always played on, on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? And it's, well, the Hawaii Bowl. Right? They put in the table, I guess, one. So <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> Look, it's a sad, lonely life.
<laughs> no, it's not. You're very busy, and you have your wife and your kids, and it keeps you busy and keeps you hopping. And and still, I just don't know how you do it. I really, I, I you know, the older I get, I can't think. You know, the, the old. Yeah, but every time we do something that's fun and historical, I bring you on the show because I have a blast listening to the stories. (laughs) I love it. Well, you know, when people start asking me questions, I have to go to my books and my encyclopedia. I can't can't remember this stuff. I I can't, you know, at my age, I can't even remember names. You know, I'm I'm only a couple years behind Dick Enberg, and, you know, you you get up in this age and you never know what's going to happen, and uh, you still try to keep going, and we just... Old time, old timers mumble too. I was I, I was told that when I started the first the first book, and man, I find myself rumbling. And then the other the phone, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's true. We you know we talk, and young people don't want to hear that. You know, I sat with at the at the at the football banquet. Uh, Shane Simmons is that the kid's name? Who yes, the, the defensive end. Very 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 well. We had three players. The 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 kid from Harrisburg. I think it's a quarterback, third or fourth string quarterback. Uh, Schuster, Michael Schuster. Schuster. Who's Dick Hoke's grandson? It, oh, that's Hoke's grandson. Yes, I didn't know that. I should could have. He was he he was he was joking with the kid across the table, and the other kid was uh, an offensive lineman from Huntington. I can't I can't remember his name. He's from Huntington. But anyhow, it's it's, it's Simmons who is very well dressed, very nice. Mm. And and you know, I said, oh, and I'm gonna say, oh yeah, I know you're the you're the. You're you talking about Ryan Simpson from Hollidaysburg? That might have been the. That might have been the. Yeah. But anyhow, the, the defensive end was this the kid. Yeah. Okay. Number thirty-four. Yep, Simmons. Yep. Yeah. Simmons. I said, uh, I said, thought I'd bring up. So I said, uh, you ever heard of Steve Smear? Yeah. I said, well, you know, Steve Smear is one of the great quarterbacks. Wasn't that name good name for a for a for a lineman? And I was, oh, okay. but they don't know these players yeah. and the history that much. Of the, the, well, you know what? Fans live the history all the way through. Yeah. Right, you can talk chapter and verse about a 1959 game between Ernie Davis and Roger Kaufman, Penn State, and Syracuse out at Old Beaver Field. You can do that chapter and verse. You can talk about Smear, Reed, Ham, whatever. Young people kind of have their own, you know, their their what their sense of history is is sometimes last week. Yeah, they that's not, be, and that's not being. I'm not being critical. No, here. I know you aren't. That that's true. That's true. And the only reason they may, may know Arrington is because he was on the air. And he's right, on, he's on TV. And Blackledge, and they know that because they right. see the guys on on TV, but they don't know the other people. Right, and and that's not their fault. They, they know there's a long lineage of great players that have been here, but they're also trying to carve their own. Right. You know, like a Shane Simmons trying to carve his own legacy. And he might here. be. I mean, you, you know. know. It's a, you know so you get so worried about trying to do your own thing, you can't really think too much about, you know, and then maybe later on you start realizing, hey, wow, that's who I followed. You know, he's wears thirty four, like you know, Bobby White. Bobby White. That's what I was about to tell him. He probably doesn't know that Bobby White. You know, and that's what the statue had with this game. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, break a leg out there. Do the best we okay. can. And uh, hey, basketball too. Watch huh? yeah. Absolutely, Mr. S. Nice seeing you too. Lou Prado. Always a pleasure. Dick Girardi. Next half hour. Final half hour, Todd Sadowski, Trey Bauer. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. 
Great to have you with us on this Thursday here from Scottsdale as Penn State gets ready for Washington in the Fiesta Bowl just two days away in a game you'll hear right here on News Radio 1070 WKOK and on WKOK.com. Don't forget, Penn State and Washington will be a 4 o'clock kickoff. We're on beginning at 2.30. And today's show from Scottsdale is brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Dick Girardi in a few moments, then Todd Sadowski and Trey Bauer from Blue White Tailgate, the TV show, joining me. First of all, this day in sports history. On this day, 1918, the Red Sox traded Dutch Leonard, Ernie Shore, and Duffy Lewis to the Yankees for Ray Caldwell and Slim Love, Frank Gilluli, and also Al Walters, along with $15,000. The Red Sox trades with the Yankees have rarely ever worked out. Also on this uh, date in the Sports history, the Islanders Kelly Rudy, his first career shutout win, beat the Whalers one to nothing. Seventy fifth Davis Cup in nineteen eighty six, Australia beat Sweden in Melbourne three two. Also in nineteen ninety five, David Cohn resigned with the Yankees, a three year deal worth eighteen million dollars. In nineteen ninety five, the Orioles signed second baseman Roberto Alomar to a three year eighteen million dollar deal. Nineteen ninety seven. Detroit Lions running back Barry Sanders became the third running back ever to get 2,000 yards in a season. And in 2009, Marty Brodeur with the New Jersey Devils broke the record for shutouts in a career. His 104th shutout victory beating the Pittsburgh Penguins. Previous record, Terry Sawchuk with 103. And that is a look at this day in sports history. And with that... We bring in the outstanding color analyst that I've had the privilege, and I do mean the privilege of working with the last 14 seasons, Dick Girardi. DJ, how are you? Great, Steve. What's happening, buddy? I'm I'm on my feet up like you do right now, but that's that's good. You've earned that. I'm looking at Ryder stats, so don't tell me about having my feet up. (laughs) That's right. You're looking at what has Stevie Jordan done lately? Yeah, Uh, my my man Stevie Jordan. He played against... uh, all of our Roman Catholic guys in the Philadelphia Catholic League at Conwell League. They won, they won the 2A state title while uh, Roma was winning the 4A. So <laughs> they know each other well. You made an interesting statement at the uh, end of the uh, Binghamton game the other night. You said, look, the starting five for Penn State. You say the team. You said the starting five for Penn State can stack up and play against anybody in the Big Ten, and you meant in the Big Ten. What do you see and why would you say that? I think they're hard to guard, Steve. I think you got to guard everybody. Everybody has a um, has something different and unique to give. Um, Mike Watkins obviously is as good a big man as there is in the league, and there's a number of good big men in the league. Uh, Tony Carr's in the upper echelon of all the point guards. Uh, last I looked, he was leading the Big Ten in scoring. I don't know that anybody's got a player like Josh Reeves in the league. Um, Shep Gardner is one of the hottest shooters anywhere right now, and Lamar Stevens is a major league format uh, who can step out and shoot jump shots. So, yeah, they're just, when you're playing defense in a scouting report, I'm not sure what coaches are going to say. Like, what do you do? Um, Who do you play off of? I don't think it's an obvious answer. Everybody can pass, dribble, shoot, and knows how to play the game. So it's a hard team to guard right now. You and I really have not seen players in the program, Dick, that are like Watkins or Reeves in terms of physical makeup, build, and some things that they can do. What kind of difference have they made on the floor, especially now that Watkins appears to be maturing on the floor? 
Everything. Yeah, they're everything, Steve. I mean, look, if you said to me, give me one attribute in sports that I want for any team, whatever sport it is, I always want speed. Yep. And that's what Josh gives, and it's really what Mike gives. Uh, I mean, he's a, he's a sensational athlete. Uh, if you get the white, a lot of people, if they're watching on TV or listening to us, maybe they don't get a chance to see it. But when you see a whole panorama of him from where we sit at the Jordan Center and just see how fast Mike is, and that's something certainly Penn State basketball, they've had fast players. They've never had a team this fast uh, where everybody on the court can go. And, and of all the guys that can go, Josh and Mike are the two fastest of the starters. And, of course, Jamari Wheeler is incredibly quick off the bench. We've watched now Josh Reeves fourth, now into his third season. Mike's been here three years, but now it's into his second season of playing. Where are each better? You have to develop your game to be better. Where have they developed their games? Yeah, I thought Josh made a, a, a great point to us in the post game uh, on Tuesday night, Steve, where he said the coaches kept telling him to slow down. You know, we were we often said the same thing, and he not only has he slowed down, the whole game has slowed down for him. I mean, he just. He's just putting up great numbers. Obviously, his shooting is dramatically different, but it's just the whole way he plays. He's playing with such high confidence right now. And and Mike, it, when you watch him, I mean, there there really isn't much. It, there isn't a skill he doesn't have for a big man. I mean, he's got really good footwork. He's got great hands. He's obviously a sensational shot blocker, rebounder. And, and he's becoming harder to guard. He was a little predictable around the post before, and now he's not. Uh, so you can't just say oh, look, you're going to load up on one side or another. So, yeah, they've just – look, that's a tribute to them. It's a tribute to how they've been coached. And they're the X factors because uh, I think we got a pretty good sense of what Tony and Lamar and Shep can do, and it's really good what they can do. But those are the two guys that had the biggest upside coming into the season, and they're Shelton. They don't have a guy that comes off the bench, and you feel like on maybe a given night sometime in a two-week span, he'll give you 20 points. They don't have that guy. But they do have Jamari Wheeler. What has he brought to the table, Dick, that makes him a difference maker even when he's not scoring? Yeah, I was trying to think of somebody comparable since I've been doing this, Steve, and I know you mentioned Titus Ivory the other day. Or was that more about That was more about, was Josh. about Josh. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know that anybody would be comparable to Wheeler. On strictly speed, it, it would be Stanley Pringle maybe. Um, yeah. but Stanley obviously was a far better offensive player, certainly by the time he finished. I mean, he was on the NIT championship team and a major part of that group. Um, yeah, I, I just think it, it's the, um, the thought that he's not going to let his man score. He's going to irritate everybody. Um, he's good enough with the ball that he can get places and make plays. Now he's made a couple of threes, but more than anything, he's just a defensive disruptor, and he changes the pace of the game when he comes in. And a lot of times you start a game, there's not much happening. You just need somebody that can come in and, and get everybody excited. That's what he does. Yeah, and he does do that. There's no question about that. But they, you and I both know they're going to need – more off the bench. Is it enough, Dick, in today's game to have a bench that can hold the fort defensively, or do you really need a score? Steve, I think I think it's going to have to be with the team. I don't think anybody that we've seen is suddenly become a scorer. I don't see a lot of 15-point guys coming off the bench. I, I just don't see it. So that's, I mean, the strength of this team is the starting five, and that's just going to be the way they're going to have to play it. 
it could it could hurt them in a couple of Big Ten games when guys get in foul trouble because look the other the, the competition is going to be better. You're more likely to get have some fouls in those games, but. I just think that's the way Patrick and the coaching staff are going to have to employ it. I, we've seen enough, what we've seen, 13 games now. I think we got a pretty good sense of what who can do what and, and what they can't do. So, yeah, I, just, I think they're just going to have to make the best of the fact that almost all of their offensive production is going to come from the starting five. They also are going to get into a series of games that are going to be probably decided by five or six points. What have you seen from Penn State in, in those one, two possession. They haven't seen many of them so far this year, but you and I both know they'll be coming. Yeah, I love the Iowa game. I mean, when they were ahead forever, and they just give any times as Iowa almost came at them. And that was a road game, the first Big Ten game after a disappointing loss at NC State. So I think that said something, that they'll be better at and how to finish those games than they were last year when they lost almost all of them. They just weren't ready for it yet. Um, and, Steve, even in the games they've lost um, – They've made big runs at the finish. Uh, Texas A&M, they were down 17, made a giant run. Wisconsin down 17, had the shot to win the game at the end. Even the NC State game, they made a, a little run at them in the last minute. That, I mean, when was the last time we did 13 Penn State games where they really had a chance to win all of them? Right. Like, I, I've never done that. Uh, no. Maybe, maybe, maybe you have. Maybe, maybe that one year where they had that great non-conference yeah. record. Uh, they lost, I guess, yeah, that's the only, uh, yeah. I'm losing track. That was the Charleston year where yeah. they lost to, to North Carolina, Charlotte, and then that was the only non-conference game they lost. But yeah, that's not, that's very unusual uh, for Penn State to have a shot to win all the games. And I think the Big Ten is going to be similar. I don't, I just think this team has too much firepower uh, for to, for them to get blitzed. I mean, could it happen? Yeah, I mean, things happen, guys get hurt bad nights, but boy, I think they're going to be in almost a game. So yeah, it's going to come down to how are you going to play the last five, six minutes, and are you going to make free throws, are you going to make good decisions, are you going to find a way to get a stop at an important time? And it's interesting, last year, it was more about they couldn't get a stop at the end. That's right. Right? The teams kept scoring on them at the finish. Uh, And this team is obviously way better on defense than last year's team. Still top 15 in the country in the Ken Palm defensive numbers. Which then brings us back to Mike Watkins again. Having his presence back there, Dick, what can that do for the other four guys on the floor? Yeah, it makes them can be more aggressive, uh, take some chances, know that he's back there, um, lead your guy where he might even think uh, he's getting somewhere and you're really leading him into a trap. Uh, that's, a, that's a real luxury to have a... Uh, one of the best shot blockers anywhere. It's interesting. The Penn State or the the Big Ten is a shot blocking league this year. I mean, it's unbelievable. Right. The top five teams. I mean, Minnesota, we know about it, and Rutgers is blocking shots. It, it's just it's it's going to be hard to score around the rim in Big Ten this year. No question. Uh, what about the, those moments? And you and I both know it will happen at some point where Mike Watkins gets into foul trouble. Between Satchel Pierce and Julian Moore, and maybe even Lamar Stevens, can they weather that? I think they can. I think, look, Satchel's had college experience. Obviously, this is Julian's fifth year of the program, and he's played in a lot of significant games. And you know he's going to do the right thing. Is he is he going to be able to athletically do what Mike does? Of course not. He's not that kind of athlete. But it's always a great luxury to have a guy who's played 100 college basketball games coming in so yeah I, I think they're in better shape than they have been with that but they're going to need these guys there's going to be games 
uh, where where they're going to need one or both of those big men to potentially help them win a game, and they're going to have to be ready when that comes up. Tony Carr is now into his second season, obviously. Uh, I mentioned about Josh Reeves getting better every year. Where is Tony Carr better this year than last year? Yeah, I love the pace of his game. Steve, obviously the three-point shooting is dramatically better. I mean, everybody can see that. He's very confident and comfortable in that shot. I, I see him – look, he always saw the game well. I think he's seeing it even better. I love – how he saw, what, a half a dozen defenses the other night against uh, on Tuesday night, and yet he never he never looked remotely confused by anything he saw from Binghamton. And, and that's a mark of a kid who's played a ridiculous amount of games, counting AAU ball and obviously high-level high school at Roman Catholic. And, and that's, boy, that's a real luxury to have as a, as a point guard. Yeah, and no, no question about that. But now the whole thing is about to heat up. What kind of read do you have on the Big Ten? You mentioned the shot blocking and tough around the rim. Yep. Some have yep. suggested that it's a down year for the Big Ten. The ACC challenge may have uh, may have influenced that thought. What do you think? And based on that thought, where can Penn State fit into it? Yeah, I think we really don't know yet, Steve. I think it's going to be fascinating. I, I told people, they said, "What do you think?" I said, "I think they're good enough to be in the top five." Uh, now they're mm-hmm. going to have to go do it. That's but right. not the only thing. Uh, Michigan State's the favorite, should be. I think Purdue's the second choice and should be. I, I love Minnesota's talent on their starting five. I don't particularly like their shooting some nights, but they're obviously going to be really good. Um, they'd probably be the top three on paper coming in. Ohio State, uh, and I, I'd like to say I'm surprised by that but I'm not because I'm a huge Chris Holtman fan, the coach. Yep. They've really probably the surprise of the league how well they played. They played North Carolina on Saturday, which is lost a whopper, I mean, at home, uh, which is one of the more bizarre games of the year. Yeah. Um, but I, I like Ohio State's team. I I, I always kind of like their players. They just seem to – I don't know. If there was something missing the last couple of years. Well, that's now been found. So they're better than I thought. Um so, yeah, and there's and Rutgers is way better than I thought they yeah. were going to be. I mean, I, I thought they overachieved last year, but for that fact that they beat Seton Hall, played Florida State a good game, I don't. There's not going to be a night where you're going to go out. All right, this, this is an easy game. That, that, that night's over. But at the same time, there's not going to be a night where Penn State goes out there without a chance to win, and that includes at Purdue and at Michigan State. And Steve, we could not have said that before this season. No. Uh, with any of the teams Patrick has had. Uh, they, he just hasn't had enough overall talent. Now he does. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to see. I mean, it's we were talking about this the other night. It's almost like it's Christmas and you can't wait to open the presents, but you got to yeah. wait. you got to wait another uh, 12 days before you get to start. Exactly. And then, then there's the, you know, you mentioned uh, Minnesota. Uh, you and I were talking when we left the other night how different they were when Springs got hurt at the end of the season last year and they lost their outside yep. shooter. If yep. There's the other part. Northwestern has the added oddity of not really having the ability to practice on campus and definitely not play yep. on campus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, and they have the added deal of expectations for the first time ever. That's, that's right. They finally made the NCAA. And, and look, they got up to a bad start, uh, but it's a long way to go. They got veteran guys who won significant games. And, and that's interesting. Penn State plays them the second game of the conference season, uh, the home game on that Friday night, right? Right. On the 5th. 
So, and that's they, Penn State played them in the first game of the conference season last year, and never played them again. Right. Um, so they've got them twice this year. As you said, not easy to play uh, at the All-State, or whatever they're calling it these days, uh, out by O'Hare, which isn't really very close to Northwestern's campus. No. It's a good 20, 25-minute drive on a good day. Um, so, uh, yeah, that is a little strange, uh, that, that that's a problem to overcome, but Again, it just think, you know, I mean, Iowa, to me, they have talent. They haven't quite figured it out yet, but they have ability. Uh, Indiana's had some great wins. They've had some bizarre losses. Yeah. It's going to be – I don't ever remember where all the teams – really, I do think Purdue and Michigan State are above the rest at this point. But where you, you say the other 12, I mean, who's better than who? Right. And who can make a firm prediction? I can't. They've got Maryland, then they have Northwestern at home, then they're at Indiana, then they have Nebraska at home, then it's Minnesota. Yep. In those first four. Yeah. Yep. Okay. It's how important all... how important is it for Penn State to get out of the gate in that section of the schedule to reaffirm what they've done to this point? It's huge. Yeah, it's just huge because it becomes a confidence thing. This this is I think this team is a confident group, um, but winning breeds even more confidence. That's right. If they get out to a start and get to four and two or even five and one, then I would say literally anything's possible for this team. Uh, but that it, and it's going to come down to the the close games because there's the the blowouts are probably over. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be hard. I mean, look, there could be a night where you're doing everything right, the other teams doing everything wrong, but once you get past Coppin State, there's there's not going to be a lot of rain delay material uh, for us. No, that's over. Yeah, I'm not going to be talking a lot of Little League and that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it is a different broadcast. You and I both know it. <laughs> My friend, always a pleasure. Sounds good. See you, Steve. Dick Girardi. 14 great seasons of working with him. And, you know, the 2009 NIT team was really, really good. The 2011 NCAA tournament team, really, really good. But the starting five in this team might be the best starting five we've seen in Penn State together. See how it plays out. Coppin State's coming up uh, Saturday at 1 in the Jordan Center. Of course, uh, like the rest of the radio network, we will have for you the Fiesta Bowl on Saturday. And that will be a 4 o'clock Eastern time kickoff, 2.30 the airtime for uh, the game with the Deets and Watson tailgate show here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. And also uh, on uh, WKOK.com. So, again, that's uh, what we have coming up for you uh, here on the show. Uh, that's what we have coming up for you this weekend. But, again, Cop and Stale will be the final uh, non-conference game before Penn State has to then go out and uh, play against Maryland, and that will be uh, uh, on Tuesday, Tuesday at 7 o'clock on the 2nd. So my schedule is uh, quite simple. It's going to be do the Fiesta Bowl game here on Saturday, fly back Sunday, leave Monday, do the game Tuesday, then come back. Eh, it's a great life. I'm, I'm not kidding you. It is a great life. I've got the candy store jobs. I know it, and I work with the two best people, Jack and with Dick Girardi. All right, coming up, Todd Sadowski, Trey Bauer, two other great people I work with. We'll be in a roundtable talking about Penn State football. 
and get their takes on the season and the Fiesta Bowl as well. It's coming up in the next hour. Today's show is brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK.